Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Access more. It's about time because we're going there. Welcome back to another episode of We're Going There. I am your host, Bianca Wattis Oltoff. And as always, I am honored and privileged that you would be able to tune in and we'd be able to spend time together. Today's going to be a little bit different. Not only do I get to interview a friend, I get to interview someone who has a powerful story of transformation. Now, if you know me, I love a good story of transformation, for real. Whether it's in the movies, whether it's in my Bible, whether it's in my own life, I love seeing things become transformed. And that is the story of Inez Franklin. Now, I want to back this up a little bit, and she probably doesn't know I'm going to say this, but not only has Inez been a pillar of faith in the church community that Matt and I were a part of for, oh gosh, over a decade, Inez and her husband, Jim, have been personal mentors from afar. They are a blended family, and we will get into their story in a second. But not only have they been pillars of faith for us and models that we love to follow and emulate, Jim and Inez were at our wedding a long time ago. Yes. Not only did they attend our wedding, but they offered to host a very private and intimate reception. Uh, Our wedding was small. We had 52 people at our wedding, and it was a destination wedding in Santa Inez Valley, and it was beautiful. But we couldn't invite some of our closest loved ones from the church that Matt attended or the church that... I attended, which was my dad's church. So they graciously opened up their beautiful backyard and hosted everything that we could possibly imagine. They hold such a dear and near space in my heart. I love them dearly. And I hope to eventually one day be as kind, loving, generous, and wise as Jim and Inez Franklin. But today we get to sit down with Inez and hear her story of transformation. Not only that, I remember, oh, now we're talking stories, friends. Now we're, now we're going way back. I remember sitting at a restaurant. It's no longer here, but it's in the city that both Inez and I live in, and it was called Brigitte's, and we had lunch. And this was, oh gosh, at least a decade ago. And she had voiced that she wanted to write a book. And I pushed her. At the time, I was blogging. Does anyone remember blogs? Yeah, blogging back in the day. I remember sitting there and saying, well, what's stopping you? And so she was looking for an agent. She was thinking about what she would write about. And then she went to grad school. And then a couple of years later, we went to Tender Greens, another local restaurant here in Orange County. And I sat across from her and she said, I want to write a book. And I said, well, what's stopping you? And then it's grandkids and it's moving and it's the business. Until finally, if I'm honest with you, I've admitted this on the podcast before, I think I'm captain of the bossy posse. When somebody has a dream, it is my personal goal to force people to step into it. I mean, we're going to have excuses from now until kingdom come. So let's put them to the side and start doing the dang work. So you know what I did? I threatened Inez. This woman is, I don't know, 20 years my senior. And here I am threatening this amazing woman of God. And I told her, Inez Franklin, if you don't write this book by the end of the year, you're never going to write this. Was that mean? Uh, probably. But all my other tactics, being loving and kind, didn't work. So now I had to be loving and kind in a different kind of way. A kind of way that was like, let's go, sweetheart. This book ain't going to write itself. So she did the dang thing. I connected her with a few of my friends and a couple people. And guess what? She has a book that she's birthing into the world. I am so proud of her. I'm honored to sit across from her. I'm honored to hear her story. I'm excited for you to know and love Inez Franklin in the way that I do. Enjoy the show. 
So my friend, mi amiga, Ines Franklin. Hola, chica. I think, I wait, I don't want to make this up, but I think you might be the first Boricua on the podcast. I, oh, come you on. You could be the first Puerto Rican. This is a double Boricua it, moment. It is. Right? It is. It's double troubles <laughs> what that is right there. Yeah. But I'm so excited to have you on the Thank show. You. Um, one of the things that we have been dreaming and talking about, gosh, for over a decade has been your desire to really put your words, your heart, your story into tangible resources for people. But, but before we dive into kind of the things that you are birthing recently, you are a you're a resource to so many people. And I think you're a resource to so many people because of your background. And so with whatever mm. you feel comfortable with, I want to know who is Ines Franklin? Give us a little, give us just a 30,000 foot view of, I mean, in addition to being a student and Bible scholar and Bible teacher, there's so much more to the woman that you are. So give us a little sneak peek. What are you up to? Who are you? And how did you end up here? Oh, Bianca, so good. Okay, so I, I was going to say earlier, you notice how hard it is for me to say Boricua in the middle of an English sentence. So that says a lot because I was born and raised in Naranjito, Puerto Rico, which is out in the middle of the mountains in Puerto Rico. I barely wore shoes. I was filthy all the time, climbing trees and eating mangoes fresh from the tree and raised by a single mother, seven of us kids. So to come from that place to where I am today is pretty mind-blowing to me. So yeah, I've come from this journey of moving to the United States and going into life, believing and trusting that I could make it. I could get out of the poverty that I grew up in and that I could overcome all those obstacles uh, only to make my own big mistakes along the way. Uh, I Several small businesses that I started and closed. I unfortunately had some uh, marital failures along my journey and moral failures along my journey. So, you know, here I was believing I was going to have this life that I was going to build for myself that was going to be away from all the pains that I grew up with, only to create my own messes. But God. But God. But God. But God. You are also a mom and a grandma and a teaching pastor at Mariner's Church here in Orange County, California. You are a wife. I mean, you are a lot of things. And one of the things yes. when you take a look at you and your story and all that you've overcome and the amazing influences that you've had in your life, you mentioned just one quick thing. Like you mentioned your mistakes and your failures, whether that was moral failures or marital failures or I mean parenting failures, failures as a Christian. Business failures. Yes, business <laughs> failures. I I one of the things I really kind of want to latch onto for a second is that you are such a fiercely independent and strong woman. But what mm. does it look like to partner with God? Because you had this yeah. linchpin. I want. I, I do want to talk about like, what was the switch for you being this independent, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be successful, to I'm going to partner with God, and what does that look like? Yes. Well, falling on my knees helped because <laughs> getting to that place of surrender of I've tried everything on my own and only made a mess— a lot of, I did a lot of good things, don't get me wrong, but I also made a lot of mistakes I didn't think I was going to make. And when all of that finally got to my, it broke down my ego. You know what I say? I got to the end of my rope. Mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I, I went to God in total surrender and decided, okay, God, I lived 40 years of my life by my will. I want to live the rest of my life by your will. And that then it was a journey of learning to let go of the habits and the way of thinking that I had before, which was this very independent, do it my way, yeah. um, survive, overcome, 
to, well, I'm going on a journey and I don't, I don't get to plan the same way anymore. I can't think of the way of the world because God calls us to do things that are way past our comfort zone, our, our sense of adequacy, you name it. And then I think God was like, okay, now we can partner. Okay, so there is this undoing, if you will, an undoing of all the things that you had built and your mode of success, aka your system and structure for how you were going to succeed. And yes. you have this come to Jesus moment, for lack of better words, and this oh, you know, fall down <laughs> on your knees, this ultimate surrender. And that sounds really beautiful. And I'm thinking about like, this just looks like it can be on a movie, you know, like you are this successful woman, have multiple failures, the end of your rope, you're like, what do I do? And then you encounter God and your life radically transforms, which is amazing. But with every undoing, with every deconstruction, there has to be a reconstruction, right? And so in this reconstruction of what success looks at 40 and this starting over at 40, I know that there's some listeners out there that are like in this undoing and kind of figuring out how do I redo? How do I rebuild? So what does, um, for lack of better words, I'm going to say goal setting because I know not everyone on the podcast is a person of faith, but for people of faith, it's how do I develop spiritual disciplines? How do I set goals to get with God? I love alliteration, goals to get with God. That just came to me right there. (laughs) Preacher in me. Walk us through kind of this like ultimate unraveling and undoing. And how did you rebuild? Well, so first I had to be still. I had to really just be in the presence of God and be still with myself, be still with understanding how I got where I got, right? Doing a lot of reflection of like, how did I get here? What are the things I believe about myself? What are the lies that I've carried for a long time? Mm -hmm. What are my fears that I'm trying to overcome with success or achievement or, or even overcoming, which meant overcoming meant that I would abandon before I would be abandoned. Um, that I would take down before I would be taken down. There was a fierceness in me that I had to understand, why do I operate that way? So being still, I would say it was like a year and a half of truly being still with myself and with my faith and with God and really asking those deep questions. And in the midst of that is when I started to feel the callings towards the new building that God wanted to do in my life. Okay, so the podcast is called We're Going There. And with whatever you feel comfortable with sharing, because there is some nosy person out there saying, well, wait a minute, what did she do? Did she steal a pack of gum? Or, you know, <laughs> what, what, what is this undoing? You know, this mistakes, this, this the, yeah. that one, forced her to turn her knees. And then two, she has to now remain still. Like, was that still in prison? Like, I mean, inquiring minds yeah, want to yeah, know. Yeah. So what was, what was the thing that drew you to your knees? What was the thing that forced you to just stop, assess, and be still? So I had this dream that actually wasn't my dream. It was my abuelita's dream. She wanted me to be this woman of God. And she actually named me Ines Socorro, which means pure help. I thought I was going to do life the good way, be a good person. But I made mistakes along the way, such as I got married very young. And within four years, I was divorced. And I married a a nice Jewish young man. And my abuelita was so upset because she wanted me to marry a Catholic. So I already started off upsetting her. But the bigger sadness for me and for her was that I ended up divorced after having a son. And then I remarried. And 15 years later, my second marriage also failed. And there's something about getting divorced once. It's a deep loss. It's a death of something. And I think sometimes we forget that it's a real death and a mourning that has to take place. So when you get divorced twice, it's like losing two big things in your life. And 
I, I was the common denominator. I realized like, whoa, between those two marriages, I'm the same one. So something's wrong with me. So that second marriage was already the starting to unravel my sense of how I was, quote, going to be this good person. And I don't mind sharing this with you, Bianca. You know my story. I share it not because I think everyone should, but because I feel called to. And I hope it helps someone who's listening. Um, because in, after my second divorce, I thought I would not go any lower than that. In, in my own standards, I felt I, I really had failed my children. I now had three children. And my son, who had been through two divorces, suffered a lot through two divorces. He was so upset. He ended up moving into a drug abuse time. And, and for seven years, he was lost to drug drug use. Thank God he's 38 years old now. He has sons. He's doing great. He's But it was a hard season for him. And it started because mom, once again, failed. And I thought, that's as low as it's going to get. It's not going to get any lower than that. And I ended up in an affair with my boss. And that really was a deep low for me when I realized I was in this relationship. And mind you, I say I realized. I'm not saying that I was, it, it just happened to me. It didn't. I walked myself through those, that experience. I chose, I made decisions that got me there. So I'm taking ownership of that. But when I looked at my life and suddenly realized like, boom, 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 I just keep making these big mistakes. I'm making decisions that are landing me in the wrong places. And I hurt so many people. My children were hurt. Of course, his ex-wife was hurt and crushed 24 years of marriage. His two daughters were crushed. Their view of their father changed forever. My view of myself changed forever. And I was actually watering some impatience when I was reflecting on all of this. This was my drop-on-your-knees moment, shall I say. And I couldn't even figure out when to turn off the water because I felt that I didn't know how to make good decisions how could I even decide when to turn off the water for watering my impatience? Like I questioned everything about myself. And when you're there and you realize that you don't have all the answers, you know, I, I don't want to say other people. When I realized I didn't have all the answers, when I realized I didn't, I wasn't making wise choices. The only thing I could do was be still because I didn't know what to do. And even watering those impatience, I stood there and I flooded those things and I killed them. But because I didn't know what to do. And that's the end of, that was the end of my rope, you know, of, okay, I, something has to change. And obviously it has to change with me and I'm going to have to stop, stop, stop the madness, stop the way of thinking, stop the lies, stop whatever I'm doing and just wait and try to figure it out. So this is where I want to go. I'm throwing all the questions out the window that I prepared because I just feel like if we jump to the redemption side of your story, we miss so much of the transformation. We love a good yeah. Disney tale where, you know, good overcomes evil and things are reconciled. But I, I feel like we're doing a disservice to so many people, especially those people of faith. Um, yeah. This whole moment, this moral lapse of judgment, this what you de determined as and you deemed and, and titled a moral failure, um, what was the cost of that? Because I think sometimes oh, we could yeah. see the other side, and I don't even want to get to the other side yet because it is a good story. We will end with the Disney and they lived happily ever after. However, there's been a big cost to that. I want for somebody that's on the precipice of just making some poor choices right now, what would you whisper into their ear right now? It's temptation to steal money from work. It's temptation to walk away from the marriage. It's temptation to cheat on a spouse. What would you tell them? Well, as I look back and I reflect... There were some deep needs that I had 
deep needs. I grew up without a father, and it's emotional to even talk about this. I still have that need. I never got to say daddy to someone, or in Spanish, papi. You know, I never got to say that to a man. Um, I needed the attention that a father could give me, the love. And I went looking for it elsewhere. When I look back now, what I needed as along the way was to recognize that a lot of these decisions were coming out of my fear, out of my wounds, out of my pain, my past pain, my needs. You know, we all have desperate needs. And when we enter into relationships that we know are damaging to ourselves and to others, we're often coming into it because we're trying to fill some deep hole in our hearts. So my whisper, and and I've had to whisper, and I've had the privilege, I should say, to whisper this to people who come to me and say, hey, I, man, I, I work out at the gym and I have a, a, an attraction to someone that I work out with and, and I'm married and I don't want to blow up my marriage and I don't know what to do with these emotions. Shouldn't I be happy? You know, people ask me these questions and I always tell them, well, this revealed a need that you have. You have a need. It's a real need. Don't, don't ignore that. But don't go filling it with the first thing that's in front of you that appears to be a good thing only for it not to be in the long run. So deal with the need. And if you deal with the need, the fear, whatever that brokenness is, the chances are you'll look at the same situation again with a different set of eyes. Um, and you might go, wait, I can't, no, I don't want to enter in this relationship. This isn't going to be the solution. So pausing to think, what is the desperation that's causing us to act out in whatever way that we're acting poorly, whether say is, you know, stealing something from work. Okay. There's a desperation and how else can that desperation be handled versus doing something that's going to be harmful to you and to others? And in my case, you ask the question, what is the cost? Well, for me, I get to tell the story over and over again. I don't like telling the story, Bianca. Not really. I always feel so naked when I do. Spiritually, emotionally, you know, it's very hard to tell about your brokenness. But more importantly, not more about, not just me, but the people that hurt along the way, the people that paid the price in, in many ways and continue, by the way, you said there was going to be a happy ending here. And yes, there's some wonderful things that God has done. But people paid the price and continue to pay the price for the choices I made. My children, their children, my exes, Jim's ex, you know, there's, we, their stories are forever changed, forever changed because of my choices. And I'm changed because of my choices. So there's a high cost. There is. Friends, I'm interrupting this podcast because if you know me, I love a good smelling house. Not only do I love a good smelling house, I love when things also help the environment. They're on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up beautiful, high-quality fragrance. The candle industry has major problems. Almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year, and almost all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next 1 million years. Yes, you heard me right. 1 million. Nose has created a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again and again so you don't have to become part of the problem. It's so easy to use, friends. The candles are made with fragrance wax beads. All you have to do is place the wick in your reusable notes jar, fill it up with the wax beads, enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours, and then all you have to do is do the exact same thing over again. 
Yes, I've been loving burning the Centel and Atlas cedar scents. They're some of my favorites. It's calming and woodsy and luxurious. I'm obsessed. I love it. There's a bunch of other fragrances, and I'm sure that you will find one that fits your fancy. You can build your custom starter kit right now. Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy Notes starter kit using the code going there. Yep, just use the code going there when placing your order. That's going there at notescandle.com backslash going there. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It said something about desperation. And I think immediately of that adage, you know, desperate people do desperate things. And a desperate need for a legitimate need to be wanted, to be desired, to be loved, um, to be protected. There were some poor choices in there. So this is where I kind of want to pivot now. Um, From this awakening to shame and this moral failure and, you know, poor decisions. You said that you had the, I'm on my knees, I'm watering the impatience, I can't make decisions. What what was the linchpin? Like, how did it switch? What what was the process that you went on in discovering who you are, what those needs were, and how do you rebuild your life from that? Yes, thank you. Well, obviously, because I'm a person of faith, it came from actually reading the Bible. I had never read the Bible before. Okay, and- wait, wait, hold on, hold on. So this is like, I, I remember you telling me this story like years ago. I'm just like, refresh my memory and for the listener out there, you said, I started reading my Bible. Like I'm thinking you didn't have a faith background. I mean, your abuelita told, you yeah. know, told you about God yeah. and that sort of stuff. But, but not really. You never just like picked up a Bible. I'm like, I'm going to read Genesis 1. So like, I'm so confused about people who are not of faith that pick up this book of antiquity and expect it to speak to us in modernity. And yet you did. So what you just randomly said, do I have a Bible here? Like, what was that like? <laughs> well, okay. So uh, a few months uh, after my impatient moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, hold on. The irony of the impatience with the flowers and the impatience that you come felt on, and made this decision. I mean, this is just literally be- genius right here. Carry on. Carry I didn't on. make it up. I didn't make it up. Uh, so a few months after that, Jim, out of, the, out of nowhere. And side note, Jim is your now husband for our listeners. Yes. And I'll put that caveat in there. Thank you. Yes. And so he said, hey, we should go to church. Now, mind you, our lives were upside down. It made sense to do something. We wanted to do something to solve solve our situation. <laughs> and so we did. We did a Google search of churches that were around our home. And we went to a church every Sunday and said, nope, 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 lots. And then on October 20th, 2002, we walked into a church. We said no. And as we were walking out, Uh, We literally walked out when people started worshiping and turned around. So we walked out the door as they were all starting to sing. Wait, wait, you left before it was, before it started? Well, it started, people were singing. But I mean, before like the the teaching or like they said the end. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. yeah. We we said people were very nice to us, super nice to us, maybe too nice to us or something. I don't know what happened. We were like, we're out of here. So they all got up, turned around, started singing, and we snuck out the back of the church. So Obviously, a pastor's worst nightmare. And um, <laughs> and I said, hey, Jim, there's one church left on our list, only one. And their service started a few minutes ago. We can still make it there. So we did. We drove 
from that church to the last church on our list. And we walked in, and it so happened the pastor that day was teaching on John chapter 4. The women who met yep. Jesus on yeah at the well had been married multiple times and was then living with a man who was not her husband. Girl, if that was not the hound of heaven chasing you down with John 4, come on. Yes. No, that was an incredible moment because the—I mean, what are the chances of that? Right. There's a—okay, the Bible is a big book, you guys. 1,200 pages, a lot of stories, and that just happened to be the day. And we we could have gone another Sunday. In fact, many times we walked out of the church. We didn't go to another church. That was the one day we said, let's go to another church on the same Sunday. So many things that could have changed that moment. But what it did for me was we walked out of that church and we said, okay, we'll come back to this church. And this is Mariner's Church where I now get the privilege of teaching, which just blows my mind. And... I have the outline of that service, and the pastor said, we're going to start a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year in 2003, so join us. I bought the Bible. I started reading Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, which is I had done a few times before because I did have my abuelita's Bible that she gave me, but I never got past that, never. So I bought this chronological Bible. I thought, I'll read it like a history book. Why not, you know? Maybe there's something good here. It's an old book. It's full of stories. And I wasn't really thinking it was all that valuable. But I started and I got behind. And then one day I was riding my bike, fell off my bike, broke my collarbone, had to be in bed for a few weeks because my back was in really bad shape. And there was the Bible. And I was behind. And I thought, my life is a mess, a complete mess. And I can't, maybe I should read this thing. And so I started reading and I kept reading and I got to the place where the Ten Commandments were listed twice. As you know, they're, they're twice in the Bible. I had never read them once, let alone twice. I read them twice and I, re I really became deeply convicted of my sin and my need for a Savior and kept reading. And as I kept reading, I kept understanding who I was created to be, um, what, what God desired for me. and. And I learned that he could transform me. And so that's sort of why I read the Bible for the first time. And I read it through. It took me a long time to accept grace for myself, for those who had hurt me in the past. That took time, a long time. Uh, and to recover from shame. Shame took yeah. me seven years to recover from. A long time. Okay. So we talked about this moment and your desire and hunger that I believe is supernatural for you to pick up your Bible, even on your back. Oh, for sure. Girl, you went from your knees to your back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then you took a stood for Jesus and it, no looking back, honey. But the road has yeah. not been easy. You know, it's been fraught no. with ups and downs and hills and valleys. And uh, I want to talk about really quick for somebody out there that maybe they're listening to this story and here's this woman at the well living in 2006 and you have this radical encounter with God and you end up, you know, remaining with Jim and staying with Jim, but there's been some difficulties, not just like as the repercussions of the mistakes that you've made, but just difficulties as a, as a Christian. That's, that's what I want to talk about. I think sometimes we can take a look at this transformation story and be like, okay, and then they lived happily ever after and the Christian life is easy. But I want you to kind of unpack a little bit of what does it look like to not be the perfect Christian? 
What does it mean that life will be complicated? Maybe what are some misconceptions that you've seen as a teaching pastor, as a mom, as somebody who's passionate about the Bible, misconceptions that people have around Christianity? I want to unpack a little bit in our time remaining the difficulties that you've seen with this term Christian or even living the Christian life. Well, first I want to confess something because I, my whole first 40 years of my life was trying to make life easy, right? Make myself successful, make myself good, make my life go well. Um, that was my goal. When I became a Christian, when I, when I started really to take seriously a faith, I want you to know I took the same attitude into my Christian faith. I really believe like this is going to be my answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they kind of promise you that when they talk to you about, sometimes you hear Christians promising that to other Christians, like accept Jesus and your life is going to be great, you know, and he's going to change everything and you're going to be a new person and, and, you know, it, there's going to be purpose in your life and all of that can be true. However, it doesn't mean we're not going to have problems and it's definitely not going to look the way you thought it would. And I can tell you from my own experience, that's been the case. So what I've had to learn for myself is that actually God had to undo, we talked about undoing, mm -hmm. God had to undo this, I call it this framework that I brought from my secular life into my faith, which I believe all of us Christians can be absolutely guilty of doing, of saying, okay, I'm with you, God, now, but you're going to do the plan the way I still expect it to work out, right? You're going to, you're going to, right? Because I know how it should work. God, you're going to join me in my plan. And I, there's a lot of obstacles on the journey of faith. Certainly for me, for example, in, in more practical ways, having had a massive moral failure, feeling forgiven by God first and foremost, because my offense was to a loving God who wanted better for me, mm -hmm. but then forgiving others for hurting me and seeking forgiveness from others naturally my mindset went to, well, I asked for forgiveness. I've repented for my sin. I've been honest about my story. So now everything should be fine. Right? Right? Can everyone, <laughs> can we all be all fine with each other? And that, right? Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. And I, there's so many times where we have a, a large family. We now have five children that are blended. We have nine grandchildren also blended because our ch two older daughters married into blended families. That's complicated. And our relationships have had ups and downs. and We've had struggles along the way. And I had this utopia idea. If I become a Christian and I give my life to Jesus, then all my relationships will be good. And I'm not going to have this hole in my heart. And I'm not going to have these issues. Well, no, there are obstacles on the journey of faith. Absolute obstacles. There's, we still live in a broken world. So we're affected by our sin by the evil in others, by the evil in this world, we're all going to experience suffering, which is an awful thing to have to say. I hate being the bearer of bad news, but it is a truth. And, um, and we shouldn't cheapen it and minimize it and wash it over with Christianese terms that, you know, well, you know, live in the peace of Jesus or your faith isn't enough because you're, you're suffering anxiety or, you know, I, I hear so many things that we can buy into because we want we want the peace. We want the purity. We want the calmness that comes from all things being right and good. It's a true and good desire. And Paul writes that the whole of creation is, is groaning, groaning yeah. for things to be made right. We are indeed groaning for that. So we desire the lack of obstacles and we desire mm -hmm. the lack of pain. 
and the lack of suffering and the absence of evil. We all desire that, um, but we're not going to experience that just yet, not fully. That's going to happen one day when Jesus comes back, and it will happen in many micro ways, micro, minute ways along the journey, sometimes macro ways, but there's still going to be obstacles. And we have to be honest about that. I think your honesty today has been incredibly refreshing in light of some of the things that you've unpacked. And I know that there's people out there that are going to want more and your perspective and your lens and your filter. Of course, I mentioned this at the intro, but I definitely want to let people know you have a book coming out. I'm very excited. Um, I feel like I've been... uh, what is that? Like a, a doula. I feel like I've been a doula in the process <laughs> and seeing this thing yes, kind of come yeah. to life and it's breaching, baby. It's here. Like we're excited. Um, can you kind of give us a little sneak peek as to your favorite thing and what you want people to know about this labor of love? And then of course, we're going to put a link in the show notes where people can go and get their copy of this. But give me a little snapshot and the thing that you love most about this book that's coming out. So my book is called Uncharted, Navigating Your Journey of Faith. And it's been a very hard journey to write this book <laughs> because it's very raw. It tells my story openly, but it's exploring this idea that the journey of faith is mysterious and that it isn't going to be a perfectly easy linear path, that there are going to be obstacles. We're going to have questions. We're going to have doubts. We're going to be disoriented. There's suffering. There's fog. There's ambiguity. All these things are true about the journey of faith. We're going to have failures and mistakes and all those things, but it is the most important journey we could be on. It is the most beautiful and purposeful way to live, and we can thrive even in the mystery of the journey of faith. And so I'm super excited to share this with the world. It's been very hard to write because I felt for so long, like, who am I to say anything? Who am I to write any of this? As you know, Bianca, I've been crying on your shoulder. I feel called to write this, and yet I don't even know what I'm supposed to say or how I'm supposed to say it. And I can't believe it now that it's done. And and I just pray that the Lord will bless people. They will see a picture of Christianity, a picture of God, a picture of themselves. No matter where, where their faith journey is at, whether they're believers or not, I, I pray that they'll have a, a picture of life that can be more beautiful than when we try to take matters in our own hands and control everything. Well, I know firsthand by knowing you and Jim and your life, how you love, how you lead, how you teach, I see it manifested in your life. And what has felt very uncharted for you, you are kind of laying out the stars for us to follow in suit and have a map when you didn't. So I want to say thank you. I can't wait for people to get this book in their hands. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your truth. Uh, from the depths of my heart, Matt and I love you. We love Jim. We love you. And uh, I mean, shout out to Kaylee because Kaylee's part of church yeah. and Kaylee's worked with me. So like the legacy continues and I love you. I'm grateful for you. I can't wait to see just how lives are changed by reading the book. Thank you, Bianca. It's a blessing. Thank you. Love you. Inez's heart is to put resources into the hands of people that want to dive deeper in their walk with God. If you want a copy of her new book, there's a link in the show notes. You can also download it and buy it on Amazon. I'm so proud of her. I cannot wait to be her largest cheerleader and hold this book in my hands. A dream actualized and a testimony told. I love you, friend. Don't forget that you too have a story. Don't be afraid to share it. 
this podcast has benefited you in any way, would you consider subscribing or leaving a positive review? I can't wait for you to join in next week as we dive into another conversation because as always, we're going there. Love you, friend. <laughs>